0: This is the Calvary Bible Church podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com.
1: Good morning, friends. Thomas and Tom here. Uh, We're really excited to be opening up a short series uh, in the book of Philippians uh, as we continue to study God's word for our encouragement and our direction. Our hope is that it will be hopeful for you as we study the
0: Bible. It will create a sense of hope that God is with us and in the midst of our situation. And it will also be helpful for us for the things that we're facing in our current situation. In fact, in the midst of our COVID experience, we, we really want to not just survive it, but we want to thrive in it as God designed. And then on the other side of it, be better because we've been through this
1: trying experience. We've entitled this series, Redeeming the Disruption. And that's exactly why we wanna look at the book of Philippians to talk about the redeeming work of God in the midst of trials and hardships. Now you might think that the story of the church of Philippi begins Philippians chapter one, verse one. But it actually begins in the book that we have been studying, which is the book of Acts. The book of Acts has recorded for us how the early church began in all the different cities beginning in Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And in Acts chapter 16, we have a recording of where Paul moves from Asia to Macedonia, modern day Greece, where the city of Philippi is found. And there it's actually a Saturday morning where Paul is looking for a synagogue and actually finds that there's a group of people praying down by the river. And so Paul goes down to the river to find a group of women who are praying. And there he begins to share with these God-fearing women about the gospel of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. The salvation is found in Jesus, that Jesus is the Messiah that they have been looking for. And there's this wonderful phrase that kind of gives a little bit of a clue into the mystery of God, of how someone gets saved. In Acts chapter 16, verse 14, in one of the women whose name is Lydia, and it says that Lydia heard Paul and that God opened her heart to receive what Paul was sharing. So that's both the witness's work to share the gospel, but it's God's work to open an eyes, open ears, open someone's heart to receive by faith the message that they've heard. And this woman Lydia actually gets baptized and shares her faith with her whole household, and the whole household comes to know Christ. This woman Lydia is actually a businesswoman. She deals in textiles, uh, fine fabrics, and her house becomes the first home church in Philippi. And in Acts 16, we find out there's other characters that come to know Christ and one of them being a jailer and his whole household comes to know Christ. And so there are these different houses of hosting churches that happen because of the work of Paul in Macedonia. And it's actually years later that Paul writes this book to the Philippians. Yeah, he actually writes it while he's in prison,
0: under house arrest, in chains, in Rome, in all likelihood. And he's there... Not where he wants to be. His life has been disrupted. His life is all about ministry in every place that God takes him. And suddenly it comes to a screeching halt and he's in quarantine, if you will, all alone. But his ministry doesn't end. He figures out a new way in isolation to keep the ministry going. And that's by writing a letter, he's using a communication device. Um, that was available to him writing a letter to the church at Philippi. It's not unlike what we're in the midst of right now, being uh, under house arrest, quarantined in our own space, and we're using every possible means to maintain connection with people. That's what Paul was doing.
1: Absolutely. It's one of the prison epistles. And so if you have your Bible with you, let's go to Philippians chapter 1 and look at the first two verses where Paul introduces himself and the recipients of this letter. Chapter one, verse one, simply says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting to note that Paul doesn't refer to himself as an apostle here, which he often does in his letters, but refers to himself in a lowly position as servant, but servant of Christ. He His identity is found in Christ, being a servant of Christ. And then the recipients are the saints. He, he gives those in Philippi the higher honored position of being saints. And now, Paul doesn't refer to Christians by the title of Christian. His favorite title to use is that of saints. And everywhere he uses this word saints in the, in the plural. Uh, we often think of saints as someone who's passed away and gets deemed as a saint because of their life they lived. But Paul recognizes our identity as saints in Christ Jesus, as Jesus calls us, saints. But their identity, once again, is found in in Christ. So both Paul, the servant's identity is in Christ, and his recipients, those saints, their identity is found in Christ. And he says to them, Grace and peace to you. Now, this is more than just salutations. This is actually the gift that he wants to give that we know we can grow in the grace of God, that we can grow in the peace of God. And so this letter is actually a means by which he wants to extend grace and peace from God to the saints in Philippi. Mm-hmm
0: we often say um, to each other, hi, what's up? And I love that this greeting is so much more rich by the Apostle Paul, grace and peace to you. And then he goes through the next several verses and he begins to describe four things that he's very thankful for. And there are four blessings that he's giving praise to God about. If you have a pencil and you're underlining in your Bible and you're looking through, I want to just quickly highlight the four spiritual realities that Paul was so grateful for while in prison, thinking about his relationship with this church that he had been at a number of years earlier and now he's writing to. Verse 3, 4, and 5 says, I thank God, my God, in all my remembrance of you, Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I want to show you three out of the first four uh, realities that Paul was grateful for. The first I just called relationship. Relationships. Paul was grateful to have a relationship with the Philippian church while he was separated from them by distance but united in his heart by the bond of love that comes through the Holy Spirit because they were saints and he was a saint. They were united in Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. I love that Paul highlights the start of this book, this letter, by saying your relationship with me is so important. Relationships are important because we're not meant to do the christian experience by ourselves and that's why paul planted churches in every city that he went to the church is the place where relationships are intended to happen and it's where we get to express the one another's to encourage one another to love one another uh, we can't greet one another with a holy kiss right now but hopefully that day will return for us but we're not meant to do the christian life by ourselves Maybe one of the key verses in all of the text, because this theme of relationship is so important, is chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and he simply says, Would you please make my joy complete? I'll be joyous as the apostle if you um, have the same mind and the same love and be in full accord in one mind. In other words, if the relationship in the Philippian church is united in one mind, Paul said, I'll be filled with joy because relationships are so important. I know many of us are living in isolation right now, and we feel very alone. And I just want to encourage you, continue to reach out to those who are living by themselves. We don't want to be in isolation because relationships are so important. The second thing that Paul gives thanks for and is grateful for is prayer. In every prayer of mine, I make mention of you in my prayer with joy. And he simply says, I'm praying for you all the time. I'm praying for you in uh, relation to your own spiritual life. I'm praying for you. And it actually, if you see the key, prayer leads to joy. I pray for you with joy. And I would just say that Um, it's probably also true that prayerlessness leads to joylessness. Because when we pray, we're not just giving God our grocery list. We're actually saying to God, I want your will to be done. I want your kingdom to come. Prayer is us asking God to help us get in line with him which is the place of greatest joy, more than it is simply asking God for our grocery list of things we want him to answer. And Paul just said, I delight to pray for you. You'll notice in verse 19 that he actually says, I know through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit, this situation I'm in is gonna turn out for my deliverance. He's counting on them to pray and he's praying for them. We can't survive this season of life without prayer. And Paul just said, one of the great things about church is relationships and then praying for each other. And the third blessing he's thankful for is in verse 5, because I pray for you because of your partnership with me in the gospel from the first day until now. He doesn't think of the people in Philippi simply as acquaintances, uh, simply a relationship or prayer partners. They're partners in the gospel, And I just want to remind you that the the greatest mission of our life maybe coming into sharper focus during this season of history is that our great call is the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all the world, to make Jesus Christ known in the world. And Paul thought about the Philippian church as being partners with him in this work. Now, clearly he had a special idea about that in relation to them because they had been financial partners with him In chapter 4 and verse 6, I'm sorry, in verse 10, he said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly now that after a long time you have revived your concern for me. You always were concerned, but now you have an opportunity to do that. And then in verse 14, he says again, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Um, You Philippians yourselves know that at the beginning of the gospel, Uh, When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Clearly, in Paul's mind, a little bit of this partnership is that they were financially supporting him while he was in Rome. Uh, That is one of the ways that we can partner in the advance of the ministry of the gospel. And I'm so thankful for your part in being financial partners for what Calvary's doing here and around the world. But it's not just financial resources. We've had the opportunity to see a lot of partnerships, haven't we?
1: We sure have. Um, One thing that we are constantly encouraged by is hearing how you continue the work of the ministry. We often talk about when we gather here on Sunday that this is kind of like a staff meeting. That the job of the pastors or the shepherds is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That it's the job of the shepherds of the church to make sure that everyone recognizes their role as a minister in the body of Christ. And then as we gather then to be scattered into works of ministry. And we're encouraged to hear much of the fruit that has come from you continuing to be a minister. I think through the the relationship that Paul had here in relationships, in his prayer, in his partnership, that key verse that you shared about being one in mind in Christ Jesus, that it's Christ that binds them. It wasn't their necessarily perfect unity, that there were hardships in the church. Uh, The church in Philippine wasn't perfect. They, they, they had their own challenges they were facing, some false teachers that were coming into the church. They even had some internal conflicts. No. Uh, they did. Can you believe that? <laughs> no. Conflicts within the church. Uh, here, right in chapter four, since you're there, um, he, he points out in verse two in, in writing, he says, I entreat Judea and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. That there are these two women that are special to Paul and, and have been partners with him. And there's some sort of division that he's going to help reconcile and bring them back. But it's not that the church is perfect, which has his deep affections for it, but it's their partnership their unity in mind with Christ. And one of the things that we've heard is being partners in prayer, first and foremost. Uh, You were sharing with me a fun story of people praying and hearing of it. So some of us are in our families together in our
0: homes, and some of us are alone. One of our senior adults is in an assisted living situation, and she sent us a note this week. Pat said that when her meals come to her, she can't leave her room. She calls it lockdown. And she's in her assisted living room under lockdown, and the door knocks in the morning for breakfast, and there's a server with a tray of food. And Pat has determined that when her tray comes, before she puts her hands out to touch it and take the tray, she just says a prayer over the server. And behind the mask, the server's eyes got wide open and listened as Pat prayed a blessing over her, prayed for her health, thanked God for her bringing her food. And I just watched that and listened to the way Pat is using the ministry of prayer to uh, advance blessing on somebody in an assisted living and then after she said amen she took her food and she does that for every meal and now the servers are kind of anxious to get there and be prayed for
1: it's beautiful it is a great picture of how the ministry continues I've been encouraged with so many of the stories. One in particular is a family here in Erie that has a relationship with a young man. And and before this uh, shelter in place got into effect, uh, he was kind of in one of the vulnerable positions of maybe not knowing where to be and being secure in his own health. And so they brought him into their own home to make sure that during this season, he would be as secure as possible, cared for, that he wouldn't have to worry about where to be, uh, that he would be in a healthy family and situation. And they're sharing their own resources. Resources with him. Um, And that just flows from their love of Christ, that Christ has bestowed on them. And because God is generous with them, they're generous with others. Yeah, it's beautiful. Okay, so
0: we've seen three of the spiritual blessings Paul's thankful for about the Philippian church. One, he has a deep, loving relationship with them. He prays for them and they pray for him. He's a partner with them in the advance of the gospel. And the fourth is found in verse 6. Um, I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Fourth thing Paul is thankful for is that the salvation that began in the hearts of the Philippian church is going to come to completion no matter what happens to them or to him. It's the assurance that when God begins a work and he saves us by his grace, he is committed no matter what occurs in the life of that Christian to bring that spiritual life to completion. So we would say when someone turns to the Lord, they become saved and God forgives us of our sins. And then the whole process of life from that moment until the day we see Christ, till the day of Christ, till the day we enter his presence, God does the additional work of sanctifying us, of keeping us moving on the pathway toward what Paul says in Romans 8 is the goal of our salvation, that we would become conformed to the image of Christ. So he knew us before time, and then he chose us in Christ Jesus, and then he justified us, and he saved us from our sins. And in the end, he's going to glorify us. That's what Paul's talking about here in verse 6. He's going to complete the work. I want to just take a moment and stop and say, you need to know, and this needs to be a real anchor of your hope, that you believe in Christ. You belong to Christ by faith. You can be certain and hopeful that nothing that's going to happen during this crisis or in the months or years to come, can separate you from the love of God. What can separate us from the love of God? Answer? Nothing. nothing. And that's what Paul's saying. This is going to come to completion. Those four realities are true probably in our hearts as we think about you. We're glad we have a relationship with you. We're glad to pray for you and know you're praying for us. We think of you as being partners with us in advancing the work of Calvary Bible Church here and around the world. And, uh, you know, we're... we're confident that God is working through these days to perfect and complete the
1: work he began in us. I think for me, that's a great place of comfort. We talk about the scriptures and that God is a comforting God. When it speaks about comfort, it's not that God cuddles up with us on the couch. It's that he gives us assurance, that, that confidence and hope. And one of the things I love that what Paul's pointing out to is that I don't have to have just the assurance of a decision I have made in years past that Christ has died for me on the cross and I accepted him and yes, this is God's work for me, but that there's a present work in me, that God is working in me presently to bring about this completion. And that assurance of his present work in me gives me the assurance that it will be completed one day in Christ on the day of his return, of of his coming. And so for me to look and say, okay, what is God doing in me right now? What is God changing in me? What has he been changing in me? How am I maturing and growing in my faith? That's the work of him now in my life, which builds into my confidence and assurance that he is with me. Yeah. And the
0: crisis of our current situation sort of accelerates us all taking a look. is like, how am I doing? And am I growing? And am I losing faith or am I gaining faith? I want you to gain faith. After describing those four things, Paul says, oh, we, I yearn for you. That's verses eight, uh, 7 and 8. I really want to be with you. We have the same sense of our own church, of being back together someday soon. But he moves then to a prayer in verses 9 through 11. Do you want to talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. Let's, let's read 9 through 11. He says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Here he speaks about these attributes being the fruit of righteousness. And it should should correlate with us some things that Jesus has talked about, the fruit of being a Christian, whether that be the fruit of the spirit or how we actually become fruitful people is that we're connected in Jesus Christ. Here it says that this fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ Jesus said in the gospel of John chapter 15 that he's true, the true vine and his father's the vine dresser or the gardener and that we are the branches in the vine. And if we abide in the vine, then we can produce much fruit. Apart from the vine, apart from being connected to Christ, we can't produce any of this fruit, this fruit that we really want, this fruit of experiencing God's grace and his peace in our life, this fruit of joy that can well up in us in spite of our circumstances. And so when when you talk about being rooted in Christ and these days drawing us, deepening us in Christ, and that's one of the things we want to happen, it's it's absolutely true. And one thing I've noticed as I continue to talk with many of you is that we hear about that often when we gather. Um, We hear about our relationship with Christ that should be deepening. But our busy schedules and our comforts our ability to be mobile and go have experiences, get out of town for a little while, can often distract us and keep us from really recognizing how we're doing with Christ. And now as many of those things have been stripped away and the attaboys at work aren't really there and many of the ways in which we would comfort ourselves or just leave to get a a reprieve, um, now we're alone in our homes and we have to reckon with this who am I? Without the accolades, without people telling me how great I am, without some of these experiences, without some of these comforts, who am I? And more importantly, who am I in Christ or where am I in Christ? Is my relationship with Christ as deep as I thought it was? And this is true for me. I'm being challenged in my own faith of recognizing my interconnectedness with Christ that I might experience the fruit of true grace, his peace, and joy. The things that tamper down some of these anxieties and fears only because of our connectedness in Christ. Yeah. And so it's not surprising that
0: Paul actually ends this little section with a prayer for them that they would grow in those kinds of ways. They would grow in love. They would grow in knowledge. And with their knowledge, they would have spiritual discernment. And you'll notice that then... Knowledge of God's word and truth, and the discernment to be able to know what's true and what's right, and cling to that leads to the ability to approve everything that's excellent, that this good fruit of righteousness. And that's what we're praying for ourselves—that we'd go through this season, that we'd grow in knowledge, and then the ability to discern, and that uh, that would lead to an excellent life.
1: Yeah. And all of this is for the glory of God. You can yeah. see that this fruit of righteousness, this fruit that we get to enjoy. So it's, it's our joy to the glory of God, to God's praise that people would recognize who God is. And there is when he changes to verse 12, talking about how God is actually redeeming this whole situation. Sure. And this is sort of our conclusion today is
0: how it comes down to it. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. It's actually been some good upside to me being in prison. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of my imprisonment is for Christ. And that most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. In other words, these bad circumstances that Paul had experienced in prison resulted in good things for the gospel, including... Caesar's household learns about Jesus and there's people in the praetorian guard who are coming to know Christ. Yeah, that's awesome.
1: And that, that's our hope for us is in these days, as Paul spoke about Christ in his quarantine, and many learned of Christ because of his quarantine, that the advancement of the gospel would continue as we speak about Christ in our situation, and that we, like his other ministers, would grow in boldness without fear to speak about the word that it would actually penetrate in all of our communities, families here locally and around the world. Yeah. So you see Paul in prison, he's bold.
0: Others are watching him. If he's in prison and he can do that, I can certainly do it in my neighborhood. And that's what we're hoping happens. We want our whole experience in this unusual season in history to result in something that actually is better than we could ever have imagined especially with regard to the advance of the gospel. And I know that's happening. It's happening here in Erie. It's happening in Boulder and throughout the Front Range. And it's happening in the city of Thornton. We want to report to you that in Thornton this week, um, what we told you months and months ago, that there was a church there that wanted to give us their church building, That happened this week. And um, electronically, we closed on receiving a piece of property. You can clap in your living room. That occurred. We don't know what our timetable is for advancing, but I want you to know that the folks who attended that church in Thornton are now watching with us on Sunday mornings. They're linked in and connected with us. Um, Gary Osborne is putting together a core team of people who are getting ready to be a part of that launch that will happen sometime in the future. If you'd like to be a part of that, we want to encourage you to get in touch with us, get in touch with Gary. Let us know you want to be a part of that because that's the way we're going to advance the gospel in the city of Thornton. We want to do everything God wants us to do during this unusual season and we want to grow internally and we think Philippians is going to help do that for God's glory and for our joy. That's
1: absolutely right. Can I pray us
0: out? Yeah, it'd be great.
1: Father, I thank you so much for this technology that allows us to get Paul's word out to a church, to our church, our local congregation in Boulder and Erie and Thornton. We just praise your name that in spite of our present circumstances, much news has already been reported of people coming to know Christ, of how the gospel continues to go out, how people are ministered to, or we pray that that would continue Father, would we trust you, and I pray that you would build into our lives um, a relationship with Christ, that the fruit of righteousness would be ours to the glory of God. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.